Welcome back to Let's Talk About God podcast. Let's talk about God. I hope that we sound just a teensy bit better. We got our brand new pop filters so we can say things like pa 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 and whatever else. They're like giant No, I take it back. They're like mini tennis rackets. Yes. That's what I'm thinking that I'm talking into a tennis racket. And then like your grandma has sewn some cloth instead of actual like netting from a tennis racket in there. Yeah, that's it. And then it's up so high, I feel like I'm having to look over it to look <laughs> at you, Evan, across the table. But I feel official. Like every time you go on the internet and you see like a popular radio show or podcast, they are talking into the mini t- tennis rackets. Yes, because right now our uh, producer Coleman is going to go crazy when I go Peter Piper picked a peck of pickle peppers. <laughs> he also told us that if we start laughing, we need to like move back from the mic. So we just want to formally apologize to those of you who had this podcast at a healthy volume and then had your ears just assaulted by laughter. We, we busted eardrums. We are we greatly apologize for that. We will try I don't and apologize do for that at all. Yeah, I, I don't really care. I just don't I, It's not that it's big not of a that deal. Big of deal. You can I deal think with it. it's I two think seconds. That's part of the dynamic of let's talk about God. That you, sometimes your ears are going to be threatened and so, you just have to put up with that. You need to do what we did before we became on the broadcast is you need to tell the people how I taught you how to say rubber baby buggy bumpers three times real fast. Okay, I'm going to do my best to get this done. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby. <laughs> rubber baby. <laughs> okay. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. You did it. That was pretty good. That's good. Now, see, all our listeners are going to be in their cars or wherever they're at right now going, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Just rubber pause baby buggy the podcast. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. And try it. You yes. try it. Go. I just did it three no, times. You did real fa- I did. Just try it for real. Rubber baby then. buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Rubber baby buggy bumpers. Dang, that's pretty See, good. That's fifty-four years of experience. Though, you right should. There. Uh, you should do auctions and stuff. That's all they do. There's absolutely nothing spiritual about this right now, folks. But hopefully, you're being entertained. We just figured we'd mix it up. We haven't got any complaints so far about the banter at the beginning. No, Sorry. that's that's kind of who we are and what we do. Usually when we skip like making some stuff up at the beginning, it's just because the previous podcast we recorded was so deep that our brains are fried and we're getting a little hungry. Well, that's exactly right. <laughs> you just, oh, sorry, I just laughed. <laughs> yeah, back up. There was a laugh back. Sorry, uh, laugh back. Uh, uh, you know what we could do is get a laugh track. Yes. And then when we go on a laugh, we'll just cover our mouths and hit the button. Yeah, that's what we need. Or we just get Coleman to cut out our actual laughter and just insert and insert some fake a laugh laughter. track. Coleman, like Coleman, you're getting a lot of good ideas here. Our producer. Coleman, we need more production value on this highly intelligent produced podcast. Well, he is the producer. We so. need sounds, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, okay. So, anyways, I, so what are we going to do today? Anyways, I uh, trying to think of a sweet transition to this. I'm They're, glad that you didn't neglect me as a child, like these neglected <laughs> books of the Bible. <laughs> That's all I got. So we're going to talk about what we have categorized the neglected books of the Bible. <laughs> They're not really neglected, but they're just the books that don't get a lot of attention, yeah. like some books. It's books that maybe you don't hear talked about, preached about all the time, not because they're not good, but maybe they're just 
smaller or a little bit more complex or you kind of have to approach them a different way. And so that's why we, yeah, we've announced our category, Neglected Books of the Bible. This isn't going to be a series in the sense that we're not going to, like, the next several episodes aren't going to be this. Just every now and then we'll we'll pop back in with an episode on another neglected book of the Bible. So just be watching out for those when they come. Exactly. So today's neglected book of the Bible is the book of 2 John. The book of 2 John. So you've got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, yep. Jude, and Revelation. So we're, we're right near the end of the Bible, the end of the New Testament, right between 1 John and 3 John. Can, can you even give a 30-second definition of the book of 2 John, or was, or was that it? It's the book of John between 1 John and 3 John. <laughs> it's the second letter that John wrote. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's basically it. But you've probably heard of 2 John, I would believe, and I'm sure that you've read it, especially if you're on like a Bible reading plan or something like that. But oftentimes you don't hear 2 John quoted, right? You, you don't hear... Um, pastors throwing that into their sermons or saying, today, open your Bible to the book of Second John. It's just not one that gets a lot of press, well, but it's be- actually really good. Because it, it consists of, it doesn't even have chapters. Yeah. It's, it's actually shorter than Jude and Philemon, which also don't have chapters. It's all of 13 verses. Yep. That's it. So there, you, you don't say Second John chapter 2. Mm-hmm. There's only, I guess, essentially one chapter. And it's 13 verses. So you're basically, if you were to preach that, you would just go and preach the whole book. There'd be no reason to splice it up, I don't think. It just depends on how you're preaching it. I mean, it depends on how deep you want to go. That's exactly right. I think the next time you let me preach upstairs, I'm going to do a series on 2 John, and it's going to begin and end in that sermon. Do a series. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, boom. (laughs) You just blew my mind. Anyways, all right, let's get into this neglected book of the Bible, 2 John. First, let's talk about the author. Well, clearly the author is... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me guess. Okay. Let me guess. Yes. It's John. It's John. (laughs) Now, we joke about that because obviously the name of the book is 2nd. Wait a minute. minute. I want to laugh. Let me back up. Sorry, back up. (laughs) Coleman's going to hate us. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm only in this laugh. I tickled myself. <laughs> okay, I'm moving back All towards right. the mic we're, now. We're back, we're back to, to second John. So we joke about, obviously, the author is John because the name of the book of the Bible is second John. But when you actually open up the book of second John, nowhere do you see him say, hello, my name is John, and I'm writing a letter to you. His name actually isn't found in there. Right, and it so, actually says the elder. Exactly, that's the beginning. That's the site. That's the the the, the title or, or or the name that's put at the beginning is because like Paul would say Paul, da 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 da, apostle of the Lord, Lord Jesus yeah. Christ, called by God. Um, but here it just says the elder. Yep. And so now we have to infer and figure out who actually is this elder who is writing this book, and so. Throughout study and church history and everything else, they've come to the conclusion that it's the Apostle John. So first, let's start with the external evidence. I just mean that's not found within the actual book of Second John, but what other people have to say about it. So we've talked about him before. The church father, Irenaeus of Lyon, mentions two letters 
and he ascribes them to John, the disciple of the Lord, and then proceeds to quote 2 John verses 7 through 8, verse 10, and verse 11. And I would say that's probably the strongest it external is. evidence right there. That just sort of seals the deal. Because he was around in 180 A.D., so he's still very, very close because, as we're going to talk about in a second, John wrote this kind of towards the end of the, the first century. Right. So he's not too far removed from all this. Clement of Alexandria, around in the 200s, implies by his references to John's greater letter, so to First John, that he also wrote one or more lesser works. So we've already got that recognized that he has multiple letters. Second and third John. And then finally, the church historian Eusebius, around in the fourth century, mentions the second epistle of John and shares his conviction that it was written by the apostle John. So there you go, right there in the second and the third century, um, you've got church fathers who are already saying, hey, we believe that this is written by John. So there's external evidence, right? Right, because it was written in around 90 AD. Exactly. So at the end of the first century. Exactly. And the cool thing is Irenaeus was taught by Polycarp, who was taught by the apostle John. John. Yes. So he, he would definitely know. Um, now, as we look at evidence surrounding the three letters of John, let's look within those letters. So first, let's look at the relationship between letters two and three. And so we'll kind of want to, if this will all come around, but we want to relate two and three and then see how two and three relate to first John, who we are very confident wrote first John. Does that make sense? Because if they all seem to tie together and everything, we know that it's written by John. So relationship between Second uh, John, or yeah, Second John and Third John. Right. There's striking similarity of address. So from the elder. So we know Second and Third John are written by the same guy, whoever this elder is. Right. From the elder to the one who I love in the truth. And so we know that he's writing to the same person, and it's the same guy. There is the same background situation of itinerant missionaries coming into the church. And so in Second John, we're going to see those missionaries not great people. And third John, he takes the other position of good Christian missionaries, but writing on the same topic. Then they have the same length, pattern, style, language, conclusion. They're very, very similar books. And so we can conclude second and third John are probably the same guy, right? Right. Cool. So now let's look at the relationship between first John, who were confident John wrote that, and second and third John, and see if they're tied together, and see if we can come to the conclusion the second and third were written by the same guy who wrote first John, which is the Apostle John. There's the same emphasis on truth in all three of those books. Truth is mentioned 11 times in the second and third letters, and nine times in the first. So it seems that he's wanting to emphasize the same things. The truth is mainly focused on the fact that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's mentioned in 2 John 7 and 1 John 4, 2. Loyalty to the truth is to have the Father and the Son. Disloyalty is to be a deceiver and an antichrist. And that language is used in, in all three of those books. The doctrine, especially to love one another, is not new but old, and they've got to continue in it. Those who love and those who do good give evidence that they are from God. So these are all themes emphasized in the same book. Finally, it's clear that both shorter letters are written by the same person and upon further review are also written by the same author of 1 John, who is the Apostle John. Yeah, and we need to point out that if some of you right now are maybe near a Bible or you're actually looking at your Bible while we're doing this, that 
First John doesn't begin with the, the identification of the author. That's right. It's anonymous. But, again, external sources ultimately mm-hmm. greatly say that First John was written by the Apostle John. Mm-hmm. So we're, you're, 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 you know, unless you just don't trust this and want to go do your own yeah. research, and feel free to do that, um, that's, that comes into play mm-hmm. if, besides looking at style and content, mm-hmm. which are those other things. Uh, I, I think that one of the things that's important is that Paul, even Peter, they'll refer to themselves as apostles, mm-hmm. but John does it. John, at the most, all John does is say, I'm the elder, the elder, not an elder. Peter no, referred to himself as, to, he said, to the elders, which are a da-da-da-da-da, I am an elder. I, too, am an elder. But he calls himself the elder. Mm-hmm. So why not the apostle? And I think at this point, the church knew that John was an apostle. That was well established. Mm-hmm. And you have to remember, this is 90 AD. He is old. He's old. I mean, if Jesus died in 29 AD, okay, and John was a follower of him then, maybe in his 20s or whatever, just do the math. Yeah. And John was the last apostle of the original 12 to die. So, yes, he's a very, very old man. So for him, they already knew he was an apostle. At this point, he's now saying mm-hmm. the elder. I'm, I'm, I'm an aged man, and and in the Jewish context, to be an, context to be an elder was a very distinguished office. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the early church, you had the the apostles, the elders, the deacons, and then the the body, the local church people. And it's very possible that John is wanting to emphasize his role in that community, not that he isn't an apostle. But that now he has functioned in more of that, you know, the the literal word presbyter as a pastor. He's he's right. pastoring them, whereas oftentimes the apostle Paul is church planting them and then leaving to go somewhere else. And he writes letters to take care of them, but he's already appointed pastors over them. Yeah. So it's very possible that John is so involved in this community that he wants to approach them as a pastor and not just as an, an apostle, and that the, makes sense. And the letter reads that way, and it mm-hmm. does. And I, you, you brought it up. You, you, uh, you took the words out of my I'm mouth. Which is, no, it's great because it means we're on the same line. Uh, is that word presbyteros? Mm-hmm. So, so elder, bishop, um, they're the same, basically the same concept. Mm-hmm. And so the elder, the bishop, is basically the concept we kind of have today of a pastor mm-hmm. because the word shepherd even fits into those. Usually, are the three words we put together, mm-hmm. and so. I agree with you. I think this letter is very personal. It's very pastoral. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I, I really, I really believe. I don't have any, you know, doubts that this is John. And just while we're covering this, before we get away from this, because it's all interesting stuff. So, when you think about the New Testament, which has um, twenty-seven books in it, mm-hmm. John wrote five of them. So yeah. you have the Gospel of John, then you have First John, Second Th- John, Third John, and then you have the Book of Revelation. Yeah which he wrote on the Isle of Patmos as an old man who had been exiled for his faith. Yeah. So just something to think about. And I think, too, just this is just for fun. We're, all, we're obviously assuming that First John was written by John, and so that's why we went ahead and compared. Um, if you just want to have some fun, go read the Gospel of John, then go read First John, and see if you can pick up on the similar themes. Um, because I think you will. I think you'll see a lot of similar things about the incarnation, specifically about love, truth and about love, truth about abiding in yep. Christ. You're going to pick up on a lot of those same themes. So First John is actually a really good follow up application companion to the Gospel of John because it's obviously written by the same author. Yeah. 
Exactly. So let's talk about the date of Second John. Just real quick, like you said, 90 A.D., late 1st century A.D., really just towards the end of the century. And the church has been on. established. Yes. So you think Jesus died in 29 uh, A.D., mm-hmm. and, and then the church, so the church was founded then, 2930 A.D., you had it Jerusalem, and then there was the, the, the persecution that took place and the dispersion, mm-hmm. and, then, and then people went all over the world, Christians, and meanwhile, Paul's doing his missionary journeys. So in those early years— the church was being established. So if it's 90 AD, and let's say that it took, um, uh, you know, 20 years for, to, for 10, 20 years for the church to establish, then by the time John's writing this, the church has been around mm-hmm. as an established church. Yeah. And I'm talking about the general church, of the, the worldwide church, for, you know, close to 50 years. Which also gives us plenty of time for some heresies and some sketchy folks to arise and want to begin taking advantage because of anything what's in the church, yes. Because anything that God does, the devil always shows up, tries to mess it up, just like he did in Genesis one, and mm-hmm. he's still doing it today, trying to deceive us and turn us away from the truth. Yeah. which we're going to see is a is a big theme. Um, so let's talk about the audience. Now, this is really really cool. You've got your Bible open in front of me, so you might be able to help me out. Um, go ahead and read the first couple of verses who John is writing to, and then let's talk about the audience. Yeah, because this is intriguing. Yeah. All right, the elder. That's what he starts with. To the elect lady, or, or the word elect means chosen. Mm-hmm. So to the elect or chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. And then the next verse he said, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. So you have this reference to a lady and her children. So the question is, how literal do we take this? Is the elder, the apostle John, writing to an actual woman and her children in this maybe house church that's made up of her family, or is he using metaphorical language to speak to maybe a church in a city, several cities? Who could he be talking about there? Well, I read... Uh, several commentaries as we were preparing for today's broadcast, and the reviews are mixed. You have some people who think, scholars who think that it truly was a lady and her family, because later in the book, and we'll talk about this, if you go to the last uh, verse of Second John, it says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Yeah. Amen. The, the children of your elect or chosen sister greet you. So, you know, they're saying, okay, well, it sounds like there is a lady and she had a sister and the elect woman has these kids and her sister had kids, her nieces and nephews. And so they're believers and they just want to go that literal route. Excuse me. I tend to think, and, and so do a lot of scholars, that this language is figurative. And here's the reason. That's what I think. Do you? So you feel the same way. Okay. Here, here are the reasons why. The church at this stage, um, was it was very typical for the church to suffer intense persecution, okay? So in the early years, uh, especially in the first century, the church, to be a Christian w- would, would be taking your, your life and putting your life in a position where you could lose it. Yeah. And so the authors of the Bible— w- w- would sometimes use, what is the word, like innocuous terms, mm-hmm. language— 
to veiled language, we would say, yeah. to try to safeguard the people. So even Peter in his talks about the the the, um, the church at Babylon or whatever, which yeah. was a reference to Rome, mm-hmm. a lot of scholars think. But he didn't want to say Rome in case the Roman authorities got it and then used his evidence against him. So, so it just seems to me that he is saying that the elect lady is the church and the children of the members of the congregation. Mm-hmm. And so when he says that the children of your elect sister greet you, so he's writing to this church from another church. And so what he's saying is, he never mentions the lady. He just says the children mm-hmm. of of your sister. So that would be like a sister congregation. So that's why I think I think it's metaphorical. I think he's talking yeah. to, to a church. And most letters were written to, to churches, mm-hmm. especially if he's saying the elder. Then he, it sounds like like you just said he's being a pastor. Well, can a pastor write to a person? He can, but it just seems like there's a lot of theology in here to be writing to yes. one person. It, it and to a you know a bunch of children, a wife, a, a woman, and children. It just seems like this is more something written to a congregation. I agree. I think when we so when we go ahead and take the position that it is John writing these letters as the person who wrote First John and everything else. So we know that in First John, he's not writing to a specific person. He's writing to churches, mainly in Asia. Um, and he's dealing with heretics that we're going to see are really kind of the, the same problems that are rising up again in Second John. So for me, the, it, the, there almost seems no reason why he'd need to write to all of these churches in Asia and then deal with the same problem, but only to one church with one lady. Two, it seems like the language he uses at the conclusion is more fitting. If he was going to write to a woman about her actual family, I don't think he would need to use such veiled terms as your elect sister and her children. I think he could just refer to family. Or um, say, their, say their names. Say their names. Because Paul would write to uh, referring mm-hmm. to people and say their names. All the time. And and there are letters in the Bible. We have books of the Bible that are personal. So mm-hmm. Paul writes First and Second Timothy actually to Timothy. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote to Philemon. Mm-hmm. So they're there. Yeah. And so we're not saying that it's not possible, but he actually says to my son Timothy, yeah. you know, to Philemon, and he names them. It just seems a little weird that John would write a personal letter and not name the person. And finally, when we continue with that elder language, he's speaking to a, a lady and her children, and he presents himself as the elder. And so I think John has this very pastoral, elderly heart, and he is kind of speaking to them as their elder, as their you know, father in the faith or whatever, and he uses that language in First John to my little children, don't be deceived. He, this is kind of, this is his mode of operation and at his, this point. And his terminology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true too. That's right. That's a good point because in First John, I mean, I know it, it sounds like we're just, we're not bogged down here. It's kind of like a mystery. Yeah. I mean, for our listeners right now, this is kind of cool because mm-hmm. we don't know. We'll have to get to heaven and ask John and say, okay, was this a real woman yeah. or was this the church? Yeah. We've been arguing about this for 2,000 years. Which was it? Well, if we can apply it, let's let's stop and apply it real quick. Now you get a picture and a glimpse into a pastor's heart. The, the way we feel about you is you're our family, and uh, we want to shepherd you and care for you. And John can get a little get away with this a little bit more than I can because he's an old man, but he's an elder, and they are his children in a very spiritual sense. We know... 
Paul talks to Timothy as a spiritual father, as someone he kind of relates to in that way. And so you get the the tenderheartedness and the genuine care that a pastor has for the church. I remember when I was at Praise Cathedral, I went there, I was 22. It was my first time in full-time ministry, and Bobby Johnson was my pastor. Mm-hmm. He was 52. He's, he's 84 now. Um, but I remember when he would preach, and there were times with in the middle of a sermon with passion, in a, in a passionate moment of preaching, he would say, children, and then he would make his point. Yeah. And he would say, listen, children, and he would call them, and that was that was his way, but he was older. Mm-hmm. You know, it fit for him. I, I knew if I tried to do that, it would yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. I didn't even have kids yet at 22. <laughs> but but you're right. That's something that when you're, you're older, you have that kind of feeling. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm 54 now, and I think I kind of have that feeling in many mm-hmm. ways that um, for those who are younger than me, that I do see them as my children in the Lord, mm-hmm. so to speak, I guess. so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so John is the author. Now let's talk about the occasion. So John's great emphasis is on the difference between the genuine Christian and the spurious Christian, the fake Christian, the Christian that's preaching heresy and wanting to take advantage of you, and how to discern between the two. So what's going on is John is addressing these missionaries that are coming in and wanting to preach and wanting to have influence and preach their message. But the problem is that these finger quotes, missionaries were coming in and then denying the incarnation of the Lord. And we're going to talk in a second why they denied that. But they were coming in and basically saying Jesus did not come in the flesh, the Christ did not come in the flesh, and preaching heresy, and then beginning to pull people away from the faith. Souls were at stake. And so he is writing to try and help this church distinguish between true, honest missionaries that were coming in to preach and help, and then those who were coming in to lie and take advantage of you. Yeah, and there, was, there wasn't a Motel 6 and a Super 8 and a mm-hmm. Hilton and a Hyatt back then, and, and there were a few inns, but they weren't very good places. They weren't very reputable if yeah. you study ancient history. So... And I remember when I was younger and my dad traveled because of the job he did, there were times, a lot of times we'd stay, if we were overnight, we would stay, but there are times we'd stay in people's homes. I remember when we'd have evangelists come preach at our church when my dad pastored, and they would actually stay in the home with us. They would stay in the guest bedroom. Really? Yeah, mom would cook for them. That was typical. Mm-hmm. And and we don't think about that much today. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I bring guests in now, I put them up here at, a, at the, at the hotel, Holiday Inn yeah. Express or the Hampton Inn right up the road from our church. Uh, but back in the day, that's what, well, back in the first century, that's what they did. So if you were an itinerant preacher coming through and you came and said, you know, I'm here, I'd like to preach at your church. And that was nothing. It wasn't necessarily like you didn't have a phone. So you mm-hmm. can pick up and say, Hey, I've heard there's a great evangelist. You're a great evangelist. Can you come preach? Mm-hmm. They would just travel around and, and identify themselves as a preacher. Mm-hmm. And so they'd say, would you put me up? And I'd like to preach in your church. That's how things worked then. Uh, another thing was they didn't have church buildings. Yeah. Churches met in homes. So you would be you would be putting this person in your home or or the home of a member, and then they would be coming to a home and they would be preaching. And so they're directly in your home and they're directly in directly uh, uh, speaking to the people mm-hmm. that are meeting in your home. So you got to get that picture in your mind. Uh, and, and so it's real personal. Yeah. And, and if they're in the home, they build relationships. 
So here's what Paul's worried about is if you get this preacher that comes along, he's a false prophet, false preacher, he's teaching heresy. It's one thing if he gets in a pulpit in a church building, you know, you can run him off or whatever. But if he's in the house and he's winning them over with his personality and building relationships he with ate them. dinner with them eating, the night before. Eating dinner with them and, and they're just falling in love with this guy even though he's a heretic. Mm-hmm. Then that's how you can disrupt and destroy a church really fast. Yeah. So now you understand why John is writing this letter saying, hey, you got to watch out for these guys because mm-hmm. they're coming in your house. It's like opening the door and letting the you know little pig, little pig, let me in. <laughs> and John's saying, not by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin, don't let them in. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there. That was good. That's Thank in you. the scriptures. Go look that up. Yeah, um, that's in First Chris. Yeah. Well, let's break down what were they actually teaching and what was their philosophy and theology behind that. So let's start with the internal evidence. Let's see what the actual scriptures have to say, and then we'll look at the external evidence and kind of give some background information behind that. Um, We've got just major theological error. Their main concern, John's main concern, was the theology of Jesus Christ and emphasizing that he came in the flesh. So Second John verse 7, he really emphasizes that. We see those themes in First John as well. They apparently thought, these heretics, that they could still have the Father, be saved, although they denied the true incarnation of the Son. You can see that in verse 9. And so they're basically coming in and saying Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. That's what's at stake. Now, Let's look at the external evidence. What is the background information here? What is going on? What is the underlying philosophy that would make them say this? So most scholars believe that these preachers that are really showing up in 1st through 3rd John um, and that we see in 2nd John here subscribed to a philosophy called Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was one of the earliest Christian heresies, and it's just some absolute nonsense. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, So Gnosticism is really like a conglomerate of different beliefs, but with some standard things that they share in common. And the root word is gnosis, which means knowledge. And that's really important. So what the Gnostics believed was that the flesh, that material was evil, and that salvation consisted of freeing your soul from this evil flesh material body, and that the way to do that was through gnosis or through knowledge, that if they learned a secret knowledge, if they went through some secret rituals and knew the right things, it was very, very secretive and weird and culty, um, then they would be saved and ultimately freed from their body. Um, And they really thought that only a special elect would be able to receive this knowledge and be able to have it and be enlightened. And so they were some really evil people. And what it actually did is it led them to live life in a sinful matter. Because if my flesh is evil, who cares what I do with my body? So I can go around and sleep around and get drunk and harm other people and whatever else, because flesh is evil. Who cares? I know the passcode. Then you've got this other group, that goes the opposite way, and they live in extreme aestheticism. So you can't get married. You can't do this. You can't eat that. You need to fast all of the time. And punish the flesh exactly. and beat down the flesh. and yeah, Because it's evil and body. it's useless and we don't want it. And so it was a really evil, really evil 
theology. Um, we're la- aware that there is a later development of it. So what we think is that John was finding kind of a, a, a baby version of it, a proto-Gnosticism, if you will. We're aware of the later development because several fathers and authors like Ignatius uh, around in like 110 AD, Polycarp 150, Tertullian in the 200s, they had to deal with this. And actually they used Second John and the letters of John to refute it. And so that the, these are their go-tos, which is why we kind of think um, that he was doing this. Now, there are two Gnostic sects that were very prevalent in the early days. There was Docetism and then Serenthianism. So Docetism was the idea that Jesus came, but he only appeared to be in the flesh. He only appeared to suffer. Because, of course, God would never take on evil, mortal flesh. That's evil, right? And so he simply appeared. And so that's why John is really going at great, going to great lengths to emphasize, no, he actually came in the flesh. It was like a manifestation. We mm-hmm. were all being, all the people who were seeing him, not us, we weren't there, but all the people who saw him were just being fooled. He was a hologram. It was like a hologram. Yeah, yeah. They, they were seeing him. And thinking it was flesh, but really, he, he it, there wasn't the the incarnation of the joining of humanity with his divinity. Exactly, it was an appearance. Then there's this other guy named Serenthius, and Serenthius believed that Jesus was like a just a dude, like Jesus from Nazareth. And then what happened is that at his baptism, the Christ descended on him, and then right before his crucifixion, the Christ. Left him. And went back to heaven. Exactly. And then he died, and then, then he was buried, and that was the end of him. And that's why John really emphasizes um, that the Christ came in the flesh. Because with Serenthianism, the Christ didn't come in the flesh. He descended on some dude, but it wasn't the Christ. That was Jesus of Nazareth, not the Christ. And so there's that um, separation, and God would not suffer and, 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 and deal with all of those different things. So tell the story about John going in the bathhouse. Oh, this is hilarious. Where Serenthius is. So we know all of these different things like from the church fathers. So Irenaeus, we talked about him earlier. He knew Polycarp, right? And Polycarp knew John. Polycarp was a disciple of John. Of John, exactly. Okay, so he knew John directly. Yep. So Polycarp tells, tells this story about his dis- mentor, John, yes, the to t- Irenaeus, and Irenaeus like reports it. All to right, us. so it tells this story about John, so par- John the Revelator, John the writer of the Gospel of John. Tell <laughs> so this apparently, story. the Holy Apostle John is going into the public baths one day to take a bath, and when he walks in the building, he sees the heretic Serenthius. He was a contemporary. And instead of taking a bath, he runs out of the building and says, the heretic Serenthius is in there. The building may fall down on him. I got to get out of there. <laughs> How hilarious is that? We don't know if it's true or not, but if it is, but that's hilarious. I love it. I mean, that is just awesome. But Irenaeus like tells us that in his book Against Heresies. I believe that's what it is. But yeah. I love that. He says the enemy of truth is within. He I got to get us, out of there. If the, the, the original language was let us fly. <laughs> <laughs> let us fly. That's Even funny. the bathhouse may fall down <laughs> because Serenthius, the enemy of the truth, is within it. 
I love that. <laughs> that is just awesome. Oh, man, I thought that was so funny. I hadn't heard of that before. But uh, anyways, yeah, so this guy was not a great dude, you know, uh, and, and, and John had to fight him. So that's kind of – that's what was going on uh, in that day. And so you can see how – it was really important to fight for the truth because it had implications. One, you're saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, which would threaten your salvation because we need Jesus to be a human. Two, if the flesh is evil, then you can live sinfully and do what you want. You don't or, live righteously. Oh, it's yeah. just totally against righteousness. Or you live in such extreme aestheticism that then it becomes sinful. You, you, know, you call what God says good evil. And then finally, these were very hateful people. That's why John emphasizes love. Because remember, only the super special elect got the secret passcode and all of that, the secret knowledge, the gnosis to be saved. And what they did is they looked down on everybody else as nobodies. And so they were very hateful and very unloving. So you can see how John, the elder, the pastor, sees that there is a lot at stake if he doesn't warn them to not accept these heretics. Because they're cult, they're cultic. And mm-hmm. so they come into this home church and they start teaching this and then they teach those people that this is truth even though it's not. And so then they're all trying to find the truth mm-hmm. and they get, they want to be the, you know, and then they start either being, like you said, ascetic or being lascivious and loose mm-hmm. and it's just destructive. Yeah. It's just, it totally destroys and undoes everything that John has done and the apostles have done and and uh, it leads them into total deception and darkness. And so this is serious. I mean, it would be yeah. destructive. Like today, if that happened in a church, I mean, it could literally destroy a local church. Yeah, it could. Just destroy it. So John is having to fight against something pretty serious here. And so that's why as we look at kind of the two main themes of the book, and then we'll just kind of walk through it, um, really truth is the main theme. Walk us through um, how, why does John emphasize truth, and in what ways does he emphasize this truth? Okay, so the the truth would obviously be the, like the John's point is: you don't have to go find the truth. You don't have to go through these secret rites to find the truth. John's saying, "I knew the truth, mm-hmm. the way, the truth, and the life." That's why in his gospel he says, "In the beginning was the Word." Mm-hmm. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John, this is really more than um, theoretical or theological to John. This is personal because he said, "I that which we touch." You know, yeah. First John, he said, "That which we handled, that's what which which we touched, that which we heard and saw, the, the truth we saw him." Yeah, and that's what we proclaim to you. And so John was trying to say that the truth is not some knowledge base that you try to attain. It's the truth is a person, mm-hmm. and so you. The, it's all found in Jesus Christ. So that's why he's when he says truth, it's more than it's a person, and then it goes into what the person taught. Mm-hmm. So it's those two things: the truth is Jesus Himself, and and the truth is found in Jesus, who is God, uh, because God is the source of absolute truth, and then then the truth is whatever Jesus said, then that becomes the basis of what we believe and how we conduct our lives. Yeah. So, so that's why this, you know, it's simple, but yet it's vitally important. Yeah. And so that's why he says things like, uh, I'm rejoicing that you're walking in the truth, mm-hmm. living in the re- re- truth. You've received the commandment from the Father. Yeah. You know, the, the truth comes from God. 
and and um, you know the, just stay in the truth, walk in the truth. That's usually one of his big things is walk in the truth. Yeah. And again, he's trying to counteract is what he's saying is we've got these deceivers that are coming in, these false teachers. What they're saying to you is not the truth. Mm. Don't believe them. You they're, already know the truth. It makes me think back to First John. He tells them you're not in need of a teacher. Not that you don't need pastors and teachers, but you don't need somebody new telling you something new. Right. You, you are, know it. You already have it. Yeah. Yeah. And even when he says a new command I give to you, he says it's, it's really an old command. Yeah. But it's, it's love one another. Mm-hmm. And that's and you say, well, how is it a new command but an old command? Mm-hmm. Well, because the, Jesus said the two commandments from the Old Testament, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor mm-hmm. as you love yourself. Well, it's it's new in the sense that you're moving from your neighbor to your brother and your sister. So Paul says, in the church, we should love one another. Yeah. And that's a key. You know, Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Mm-hmm. So, so you can see how that truth, and we already talked about this, but that truth of Jesus Christ um, ultimately has an impact on your eternal soul because it's about what you believe about Jesus, and then what you believe about Jesus changes how you live your life. Um, and, and so there's a lot at stake here, and that's why the truth matters. And then finally, um, a major theme is about discernment. Um, ultimately, he wants them to focus on the truth so that you can know who to accept and who to reject in well, your life. Before we go there, can I take us down one more direction? Yeah, sure. Because you're right. Because, but, but let me just add a, something in the middle mm-hmm. that takes us to that discernment. Yeah. Is not only does he talk about knowing the truth and being sure of the truth, but then he talks about keeping the commandments, mm-hmm. keeping the precepts, so that the natural result of being born again and reading the word of God and hearing the words of the Lord is that then you line your life up. And that's really critical when we talked about um, docetism and Sorinthianism mm-hmm. that that it said it doesn't matter. And then, you know, Gnosticism, it doesn't matter how you live. You can live any old way you want to. And Evan, we fight, we fight this today. Yeah. You'll have people that get saved and depending on certain things they've been taught, they're like, oh, you're, you're going to heaven you're guaranteed. You're good. You're yeah, good. It doesn't matter you're, what you do. You're, you can't do anything to undo that. Once you're saved, you're saved. Well, then I've known people. There have been people, and I'm not making this up, who were taught that. And so they just lived any old way they wanted to, but in their mind the whole time, they are convinced that they're saved. Mm-hmm. Well, what they were told was not the truth, because if you read the whole Bible and you read the whole New Testament, you really the whole Bible is that when you're saved, then it the, the next step is that you become sanctified and you live a holy life and you're called to be godly and mm-hmm. you're called to be like God. And that you can't ignore that calling. You can't live a life of sin but somehow say, oh, I'm still saved. Mm-hmm. It, it contrasts with the truth. And the truth says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, old things passed away, everything becomes new. But if you're still living like the old you— it didn't take a rocket science to say, well, you might say you're saved, dude, but you're not saved. I think it's one of those things that if we want to kind of use that Gnostic language, um, we are not just gods in soul, but we are servants of God, body and soul. Well, Paul said, everything. glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which mm-hmm. are gods. Yeah. Okay. So, and he said, don't, don't you know that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Yeah. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So he, and then he said, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Yeah. And he's talking about the body. So when Jesus paid the, the, the price on Calvary 
and shed his blood, it wasn't just to redeem my soul, it was to redeem my body. Because one of these days, I may die and my body goes in the, in the dust, but when I get to heaven and Jesus comes back, there will be a resurrection and I will have a glorified body. Mm. So see, there will be a redemption, not just of my soul, but a redemption of my body. I think most people forget that. Not that they disagree with that, but they just imagine heaven as this sort of ethereal where my soul's floating around and all of this stuff. There's a resurrection for everybody. Oh, yes. There's a resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. It's the, sown, the it, material stays. Is your sown a natural body be raised a spiritual body, but it's still a body. God cares about matter. C.S. Lewis has this great line. He says, God loves matter. He created it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> he became it. Matter matters. Matter matters. He became <laughs> it. And so what you do with your body matters. And I know this is like a little bit of a veer, but while we're on the Gnosticism thing, that's why I love like our worship so much is that it involves the body. And what I mean is I love when people raise their hands because it involves the body. It's not trying to be so spiritual that you close your eyes and just contemplate. But you get yourself involved. Oh, singing, <laughs> using your mouth, your mind, you're mm-hmm. singing, you're saying hallelujah, praise when the Lord. When people come and kneel at the altar before the yeah. Lord. Yeah, bowing down, clapping your hands. Mm-hmm. It's Those are all use, ways of using the body to express um, glory to God. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you have been justified. You are being sanctified. Mm-hmm. And that's the part about how you're you're trying to live right and be less like you, more like Jesus. And one day you will be glorified. Yeah, body and, that and soul. Yeah, it's all body. Yeah. So that's a good point. That so that, good. I guess I want to say there is we know the truth, and then now we have to live the truth. Yeah. And that's what John says. He, I rejoice that I found your children walking in truth, and you've received these commandments, and he talks about like the commandment of loving one another, mm-hmm. and and so that's that's you know one of the truths, mm-hmm. love one another, and if you and if and you know the Bible says that um, if you and John writes about this in First John is how, how can you say that I love God who I haven't seen, but don't but you don't love your brother who you have seen? Yeah, you can't be a Christian. That's you can't what be a Christian. Saying. Yeah, he says so. You have to. You have to love, so that's that's a command, and so I yeah. think that's that shows that you have the truth. So I'm going to mm-hmm. get back to saying, if I claim to know the Bible, know the truth, then it should be expressed in how I live my life. Well, that moves us right into discernment, which is how how do you know somebody is right? They know the truth, they speak the truth, but then they live the truth. And so, evidence of someone who lives the truth is, say, some random preacher comes along. Do they preach right doctrine? But then, do they live it out? How do they treat people? Right, Are they loving? All right, let's use that word because twice in Second John, mm-hmm. John refers to, in verse 9, he says, whoever transgresses mm-hmm. sins, that's what we're talking about, whoever sins, and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And then if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. Mm-hmm. So there's three times he says the word doctrine. And doctrine is the compilation of God's truth. Yeah. You want sound doctrine. And I don't know that we talk enough about sound doctrine. When Paul wrote Timothy, Paul's greatest concern was that the next generation, which was Timothy's generation, would hold on to sound doctrine. I've taught it to you. Mm-hmm. Don't let it go. He charged him, teach it, preach it. Oh, yes. Lay it before them. Yes, because the sound doctrine is spans the generations. So then when you got somebody that comes along with a new doctrine, mm-hmm. but it clashes with 
the sound doctrine that has been handed down to us from the Bible throughout the ages, then you have to back up and say, whoa, I'm not going to embrace that mm-hmm. because that doesn't match up with God's doctrine. That's false doctrine. Yeah. And that's what John's warning is. He's going to have people to come along. Paul did this um, when he went to Jerusalem. He met with the people of Ephesus, and he told them, he said, they're going to be false teachers are going to come out. He says, wolves from without and black sheep from within. Yep. He said, people from within are going to rise up to try to destroy the church. And this is so relevant today. I mean, if we can just stop and apply it. I think it's one of those things where, okay, sitting at home, you may not be a pastor like in charge of some evangelist coming through, but you have the internet at your fingertips, yes, which is a way for you to receive all kinds of wonderful truth and all kinds of craziness. And so there are a lot of people. Yeah, false doctrine. False doctrine. A lot of people online right now that are running ministries, releasing sermons, preaching things that sound really good, have a whole lot of followers in person and on the internet, but maybe preaching heresy. And so there's a responsibility and a, and a, and a dis- discernment that we have to have that what am I going to let into my soul? And am I going to be able to know what I need to cut off, unsubscribe from, get out of my life? And what, I'm, what am I going to let in? Because now you don't have to just go to a church building to hear somebody preaching falsity. You could listen to it on your car going down the road all the while thinking this is within the realm of Christian orthodoxy when it's not. And then the pastors, which is you and me, Mm -hmm. you and I end up having to deal with that when they come back and they start talking about, hey, pastor, I saw this guy on the internet and I read this and I watched, you need to watch this sermon. I've had him say, you need to watch this. Tell me what you think. This is really, and then I watch it and I go back and I say, this is heresy. Yeah. And they go, really? I said, yeah, this is heresy. Do not listen to this anymore. Do not, do not watch this person. Um, Leah and I watched this show that's on Netflix, Netflix called The American Gospel. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. I'll be honest. And I know you and I talked about this. And I think it looked like from what it, it was like reformed yeah. people that did it, mm-hmm. reformed, uh, maybe Presbyterians. I don't know who it was. Yeah, anyway, reformed sure. yeah. theologians. So they came. They, they didn't come from a Pentecostal background, which is your, your yours and mine. But, but still very conservative, very, very, very conservative, based. and very biblically. And it was yes. really done well. I thought it was done very, very well, just about Jesus and about the gospel. And mm-hmm. but they just laid bare. I mean, they showed video clips of some people, you know, teaching some things. And I'm like, well, and I'm going to call some names, so you don't have to do, but I am. But like. Kenneth Copeland, mm-hmm. and they showed the clips of some things that K- Kenneth Copeland said. I mean, Kenneth Copeland's been around a long time, and he's in that Word of Faith movement, okay? And I'm sure Kenneth Copeland's probably preached some really great things through the years, but there were some things that Kenneth Copeland were teaching that were just flat wrong. Mm-hmm. Paula White, Paula White, who, who you know, pastors— in the White House and all that. Yeah, and been to the White House and on Donald Trump's uh, pastoral squad, whatever mm-hmm. he's got— but she's taught some things, said some things that are just flat wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's heresy. And um, and I love Bethel, but even Bill Johnson every once in a while will say some things that are, it's out in left field. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, you could get him in a room, you'd say, Bill, what, what were you <laughs> thinking? <laughs> what are you, stop. You can't say that. It's wrong. Yeah. You know? And they and they do these they get these things that are just out in left field and then I you know I won't name any others but, well there was there was a guy named Todd White mm-hmm. 
and they were exposing the guy. He's the guy with the long dreadlocks. And there were things that Todd White was teaching was wrong. Yeah. And then he's out there in the street ministering and acting like he's praying for people and their legs were, sh- he tells them their legs shorter than the other. They didn't even know it. And then he prays for them and he manipulates their shoes. They showed it in slow motion and makes them say, look, your, your, your leg's growing. Mm. So my point is, you, it happens today. Yeah. And you have to be careful of who you listen to um and and uh and and say you know man that sounds because you know they'll come people come along and say you know we're gods the we're gods we're little gods yeah i think i've heard benny hinn say that before oh yeah yeah the we're little gods and and then you have to say no we're not little gods mm-hmm. okay we're we're children of god but we're not little gods there's yep. only one god yeah exactly and, and we reflect his image but that just that doesn't make me a god. Yep. So again, this this little book, when we start talking about what was happening then, and then we talk mm-hmm. about today, we realize, you know, this is pretty applicable. Yep. Because Gnosticism could sound real good, you know, it could. You know, we want you want to be saved. You want to go up into the spiritual realm. You know, you want to flee this and that. You want to flee the flesh. Christians use the flesh as a term. They use the world as a term. You know, so you could, you can see how it can just begin to twist, but it's not the truth. Well, it's, David Koresh and the whole, you know, the wacko from Waco thing, yeah. you know, that all that, if you ever study about him or even watch the movies that they've mm-hmm. done about him, and this happens with other cult leaders. I, your mom and I were watching this show the other day about a guy that was, it was out in Utah. And anyway, it was, I don't know if it was kind of an offshoot of the, think of the Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, whatever, yeah. the Mormons, it was an offshoot. But you get these strong, charismatic personalities, and people buy into that personality, and then they just think anything and everything they say is the gospel, is the mm-hmm. truth. And and so simple people just buy in. Well, that's what happened. And these people were dressed like they were still back in the 1800s. All the women oh, had the man. long dresses. I mean, it looked like it was back in time. Yeah. They had their hair Pulled and it just you thought you were watching a cowboy movie from the eighteen hundreds the way they were dressed and he was um, he was doing things with these women you're not supposed to do but incorporating it into the religion yeah I mean I don't know if any kids are listening so I have to be kind of careful here if somebody's listening their children mm-hmm. listen but it, it it was just and they just they just thought this guy was the prophet you know and anything he said and even after the guy was exposed and arrested and went to jail. There were people who still mm, carried on, carried on, and followed him. They just said, "No, he's still the man of God," because they yeah. were just. Bra- I mean, there's a point you're brainwashed, <clears throat> and that's why. Thank God for the Bible. Yeah, thank God for the Bible, where you can always go back to this and mm-hmm. say, "What is thus says the Lord?" Because let it, let God be true, and every man a liar. Yep, exactly. and that's why you should be in a church with a pastor who preaches the word. Mm-hmm. And that's why you know you and I for the most part, are expository preachers. Yeah. Now, I preach topically every once in a while. Which, uh, is, which I think is good in, in healthy doses. Well, I'm doing that right now yeah. because I'm preaching on aspects of salvation. This mm-hmm. is what God's told me to do. So I'm preaching, like this Sunday, I'm going to preach on justification. But so, even then, the way you go about it is generally expository. You have to some go, references you, rather than just pulling whatever little verses you no, want. No, you've got to go back to a scripture. And I'm yeah. going to preach from Romans chapter 3 yeah. and actually preach that text. Mm-hmm. So you still go back and preach expository, but I'm preaching. But preachers who preach expository, I, that's why I, I there are a lot of pastors, and especially pastors of very large churches, 
that this can this has been a concern for me, and I'm an educated man, but but they pastor large churches and they have a big influence, and they haven't even been to Bible college. Yeah, they haven't even been to a seminary. They don't even know what hermeneutics is. They don't even know about the proper interpretation of the Bible, and they preach a lot of topical sermons. And so it's mm-hmm. all topics, topics, and they're preaching these topics, and and people enjoy it because they love that topic because that a topic applies to them. But meanwhile, they're not preaching in depth the Word of God. They'll throw some word in here or there, where if you take people through the Word, that's what's life-changing. Well, I think we've, just listening to this podcast today or doing this podcast Doctrine and practice are not separated. No. They cannot be. They cannot be. And we, I mean, we just showed you take a Gnostic theology with all of its depth and craziness, and it affects the way that you live. Yep. We can always start with doctrinal topics, and there will always be application. It has to. What you believe determines how you behave. A we sa- need that. A sound doctrine will result in a sound life. That's right. Live for Jesus. That's right. Okay, but a false doctrine will live will ultimately result in a life that's lived falsely for mm-hmm. Jesus. It's false. You're you're a hypocrite and and you're not living up to the, the to the commands of God. Yeah. So you're right, we need that discernment. And that's mm-hmm. what John is saying. And I've heard there are people who they're terrified to talk about any preacher. Oh, you should talk about a preacher. We're not you know they were talking, don't talk about a preacher. All right. I think there is a balance there. So I think there is one side with heavy, Evan, and you and I are both pastors, so we're men of God. We have a calling on our life. Mm-hmm. We didn't ask for this. Yeah, I didn't ask for this. I was a computer science major. I planned to work in the computer industry, make lots of money, and be, go to church and be a good church member. Mm-hmm. God, for some reason, plucked me out and called me and said, I'm calling you to be a man of God. So there is a side where you must respect the man of God. You should love the man of God. You should revere them. I think you shouldn't get flippant with men of God. You can be close to them at the same time. The prophet is not without honor, mm-hmm. Jesus said himself. So you should revere them. You know, the, the scriptures touch not mine anointed. There, 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 is, there is validity to that. You know, there are people who, who will attack pastors and who are malicious towards pastors. What they become is heretic hunters rather than heresy hunters. Well, and then some people are just, they're, they're, they're not submissive yeah. and they're, they're carnal mm-hmm. and they want to be in charge. Yeah. You know, their pastors bless their hearts of churches where some top tithe payer who made more money than that guy wanted to control him and he wanted yeah. to control the church. It's happened not a zillion times. That's what I'm talking about. Those things are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't matter whether your pastor has a, has a high school education, but he's called and he he studies hard. And even though he hasn't been to Bible college, he studies all week and he preaches the word. It doesn't matter if you're the head of a major department. If that's your church, he's your pastor. You honor and respect that man, mm-hmm. okay? Because he has a calling and he's your shepherd. And and so there's that side. At the same time, there's this other side over here where people just are scared to death and they say. Oh, you can't ever say anything bad about. No, if you have a, somebody who's claiming to be a man of God or claiming to be a woman of God and claiming to have a calling, but they are preaching false doctrine, what John says to us is, you have to identify them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when those people made this this movie, The American Gospel, I don't think anybody, any of them, set out to attack 
these people. Mm-hmm. They the, and that's not what the bulk of the movie is about. The bulk of the movie is about telling what the gospel is. Yeah, this show is here's what the gospel is. This is what America needs to hear. But then here's the problem: is there's a gospel being preached that is not. Yeah, that's contrary. It's to contrary. The truth. It's been tainted. There have yeah. been things added to the gospel, and we need to recognize that's not a gospel. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. Now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm saying there's. I'm not telling you you should attack your pastor. I'm saying yeah. don't do that. <laughs> but I'm just saying don't go all the way to the other side. Is what what John would be saying is is just accept every Tom, Dick, and Harry that mm-hmm. comes along with what they teach. Yep. In the name of unity, I, I've heard especially like don't attack. Or don't don't talk about this person. We need to be unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think there's a way that you can lovingly disagree with somebody's ideas, especially heretical ideas. Well, Does if they're heretical, sense? yeah, then that there there can be no unity. And there needs to be discernment too. So it's one thing, like um, like I'll say his name, Todd Bentley. Todd Bentley is a proven heretic. Um, cheated on his wife. Married the woman he cheated on her with. Crazy stuff. Right, just out and left field. I don't mind saying his name, but pick one pastor who ninety nine percent of his stuff is good, and he says one blatantly wrong thing from the pulpit. Do we go on a, like a smear campaign, you know, or do we lovingly correct him? I think that's where you stay in that balance. And what John is talking about is not when your pastor gets it wrong. That's not it's what he's when referring their whole to. Life and mission is to preach what is wrong. They're puppets of the devil. Exactly. He calls them antichrist. Yes, he does. We need to let me, we need to just go through the whole book. It takes five seconds. Right, I would it. love to. Let's do it. You want to do it? Yep. All right. I'm going to read. We'll, we'll go by a section. Let's start with the introduction and just make some points. And then, uh, I, yeah, I think we can do this fast. I think this would be really helpful. So let's start with verse one. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. So what do you pick up there? I pick up truth. Yeah, I think... (laughs) How many times does he say truth? Four times? Right, (laughs) and I think we can probably... Go exactly. ahead and move through and move this. On. We've we've talked about this. There's truth. There the, the importance of the truth. Let's talk about love real quick. Okay. We're going to see that four through six. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Okay, so we've talked about, I think we've covered that pretty good too, and that's what we've been trying to talk about. That's what John's saying. And Yeah. Love each other and then walk in the commandments of God because that Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And here's the emphasis, um, just as you have heard from the beginning. He wants you to be maintained in the foundation of the truth of the gospel and not let somebody come along and say something new and carry you away. Continue right. loving. Continue Don't forsake the, the sound doctrine yep. that you've been taught early on. Okay, so the, probably this next section, the this last is the, section, is the one that we're yes. really wanting to get into This here. is the meat of it, but we wanted you to be able to hear it. Here we go. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world— those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver 
and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, this is key, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Okay, so this is like, this is the part to me that's just this is it. chock full, from, yes. because we've talked about everything else that's been great. But he said that if you, these people, these false teachers who are preaching this heresy, so we're talking about heresy, mm-hmm. false doctrine, that they're deceivers, which is the opposite of the truth. Mm-hmm. Deception is the opposite of the truth. And this is what Satan does. This and, is his tactic. And that's why they're antichrist, yeah. which is satanic. Because the Antichrist is everything is the opposite of Christ. You yes. know? So the Antichrist is a real person that will exist, possessed by Satan himself, during the seven years of the tribulation. But there is a spirit of the Antichrist mm-hmm. that has been at work for 2,000 years. Yep. And this is the spirit of Antichrist. Anything that would say that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh is Antichrist. Yeah. And, and I think it's so important that he said, and he, and he, gets, he gets real personal here. Don't lose those things that we worked for. And Watch I think yourselves. He said, "You know, you've worked for, and what it is is you've you've learned, you've grown in the yeah. Lord, you've studied the Bible." And I think there's a little person we worked for is mm. I've pastored you and I've poured into you, and don't I don't want you to lose this. Don't throw it away. Don't you've throw made it away. so much progress. And as a pastor, I know I've watched people that I've worked with and helped them, and mm-hmm. then they would fall back into sin and turn away from God and leave the church and leave Jesus. And I'm like, you lost it all yeah. because you, you bought into something that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. And what he's saying is, hang on, you'll, there's a reward. Yeah, There's a reward that's going to come. And I think that's that's what you know we have to... We have to talk about, and then, you know, you, I know you're reading a different translation. The New King James says, it, it says, goes ahead, but it, he says transgresses, mm. which, which is the same thing. You, when you transgress, there are boundaries that God has said. When you mark, walk outside yeah, that boundary, yeah. you've gone beyond the boundary of God. You've yeah. sinned, and you, then you don't abide in, in the doctrine of Christ is you don't have God anymore. Mm. And we need to say that. People say, why can't I believe this false doctrine still have Jesus? Well, this says no. You're, you're, the reality is, is you're believing in a different God at that point. A, a different, different gospel. gospel. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul had, had to deal with that in Galatians. He said, I am just shocked that you are so soon removed from the gospel mm-hmm. which I preached to you. And he said, if, if I or anybody else or an angel from heaven mm-hmm. should preach to you a different gospel, let him be anathema. Let him cursed. be cursed. Yeah. He even cursed himself. He yeah. said, if I come back and I preach something different than what I gave you, then that means I'm wrong. We're talking about the essentials here, not little different things we can take opinions on. We're talking about the essentials. God come in the flesh. Born of the Virgin Mary, in the flesh, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, a a propitiatory, atoning, efficacious death, died in our place, substitutionary, placed in the tomb, came out of the tomb in resurrection power, showed himself alive for 40 Mm -hmm. days, went back to heaven and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is the only one that Mm -hmm. can save you, and he will save you by grace through faith. Yeah. How's that for the gospel in a nutshell? That's good. I know we joked about this the other day, but if your preacher disagrees essentially with the Apostles' Creed, go look it up. It's not very long. If he differentiates from any of that. 
he is wrong. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. That you need to, that's right. <laughs> and then, you know, we talked about this, don't receive him. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, don't tolerate it. Don't mm-hmm. watch the website. Don't follow them. Unsubscribe them. Don't follow them on Twitter. Don't listen to what they say. Don't listen to their blogs mm-hmm. or, or their podcasts or read their blogs or listen to their podcasts. If they teach false doctrine, and, and, and look, who can help you with that? If you have a good, solid pastor, he can help you with that. Just ask. This makes me think of a, an event that happened, and we have elders at our church. Mm-hmm. So we have a pastoral staff that we're all full-time pastors. We have one part-time, but he's like a full-time. He's available. Yeah, and he's a seasoned guy, yes. seasoned pastor. Pastor Terrence is just awesome, and, and, and my good friend. Um, but we also have lay people who are elders in our church. They have a shepherd's heart for this church, and these are godly men, seasoned, mature men, and they, they stand with me, and together we oversee this church with the pastors. And a few years ago when Todd Bentley, you mentioned Todd Bentley, mm-hmm. was having his— I guess, revival, revival. crusades in Florida. And his techniques and methods were really already raising red flags for me. It seemed to me he was blaspheming the gift of tongues and just a lot of things and angels. He had angels talking to him. It was was out there. Well, I had some people here at our church who were who were watching this, you know, they were aware of this because now with the internet, everything's you can everything. And I had some families come to me and said, we thought about, we're going to buy a plane ticket. We're going down to that crusade. We want to go down there. We hear these great things are happening. Pastor, what do you think? And I said, I'll tell you what I think. I think you should keep your money. Don't buy a plane ticket. And let's wait and see and give this thing some time because I'm unsure about this guy. He's raising a lot of red flags to me. Mm-hmm. So as your shepherd, I'm advising you, don't go down there yet. Let's just see what happens. And I met with the elders, and I told the elders about this. And we all agreed as we studied his doctrine that it was a false doctrine. And so the elders of this local congregation said he is a false prophet and false doctrine from mm-hmm. what we're reading and seeing. And if any of our people, we encounter any of our people, say, we're going to get in the car, we're going we're gonna to advise them not to go. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, a few weeks went by, and the whole thing exploded. Yep. And it all came out. And the people that we told not to go were grateful mm-hmm. that we saved them a trip and kept them from getting exposed to false doctrine. But man, and with the internet now and oh and, and people could self promote and you can think, Oh man, this is the newest, greatest thing. This mm-hmm. this person's something. But you gotta watch. You and just here is the scariest part. Verse eleven. For whoever greets him or takes part or excuse me. Um, yeah, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Shares in his evil deeds, yeah. There is a point, and I, and I don't believe in ignorance, that, that that's, this would necessarily apply, but let's take, for example, you advise that family, please don't go. You shared with them from the scriptures. You shared with them the conclusion of the elders. You put forth, this is not right. And I shepherded and them. Shepherded I protected them. them. And then they turned around and not only went, but promoted, posted, invited, put forth, <laughs> you know, all his teachings, his doctrine, his whatever else, like you name it, There's comes a point where you've moved past ignorance and you know. Oh, you're an accomplice now. That's what he's saying. You share in his evil deeds. Yep. 
And you, now you may be dragging other folks down. Yeah, with you. and I don't want to do that. Me that's neither. why I want to teach sound doctrine. I, yep. That's why I try my best to stay in the Word. And that way, if you if you want to argue with me, mm. you got to take it up with God. Yep. Because I preach the Word of the Lord. So finally, beginning in verse twelve, though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. There is a camaraderie and a fellowship in the people of Christ that John, though he is old, longs to see them face-to-face so his joy may be complete. And then other churches are greeting them, loving on them, wanting to talk to them. There is something special about the community of God. And and because, and and our listeners have figured out, if you're new, we do these a month in advance. Mm -hmm. So this is coming out in August. Yeah. And uh, so it's July for us, but we're thick in the middle of the COVID. Yeah. And I think this scripture makes me think of the fact that we've reopened our services. Mm-hmm. Now, by the time this podcast comes, you know, I don't know what's going to happen then yeah. if I've had to stop the services or we've been able to yeah. continue. This or moment. We just don't know. But but there is a longing, Evan, mm-hmm. of the people of God. Our society is so strained and weary and tired and stressed right now. People are just stressed out. And I think the people of God are experiencing this, and there's something about coming to church. We've just You could tell it since we've reopened. Mm-hmm. People, we're family. Yeah. And we love to get back together and, and see each other, and we're having to practice social distancing and be careful and have sanitation stations, and, and we're trying to do all those right things. Mm-hmm. And I know there have been some churches that have unfortunately tried to do it and then had an outbreak. Yeah. And it's just it's terrible. It's been terrible. And, and yet those pastors have said, you know, we did everything possible, and yet we still have to be the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still can't. I mean, there's got to be a way. We've got to find a way. We can't just shut the church down indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So that's what that makes me think of is there is a power in the community yeah. and the fellowship, the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ, walking in the truth, walking in the love together. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, I think this has been a fantastic episode today. Who knows? We could we could. Uh, who knew that we could go over an hour on the little book of Second John? Exactly. Well, look, I hope that this book is uh, now no longer on your neglected list. But every now and then, you would take time to do it. You could read this book standing in line at the grocery store or doing anything else. It's just that short, but I hope that you see the depth and the relevance that's in it. But thank you for joining us for Let's Talk About God today. As always, leave us a like and a review on uh, whatever podcast uh, area that you listen to us on. And then if you'd like to, to send in a question, find us at High Praises Church on Instagram or Facebook. Send us a direct message for any questions that you would like answered, and we may just answer those questions Thank you so much, and we will see you in a couple of weeks.